Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hear Me See Me podcast is sponsored by Zenoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts, and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me See Me. It's just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, uh, this is Stuart Roberts from Hear Me See Me podcast, and today I've got uh, another wonderful lady to talk to. Um, we, we, we did meet a few a couple of years ago and then I went on to a podcast and we talked about us for homeless and different things. Um, she's respected throughout the industry. Today I'm talking to Nikki Pope. How are you? Hello, I'm fantastic, I think. How are you? <laughs> How are you coping in this second lockdown? Oh gosh, it's, it's like a dying, doing a diet the second time round. It's not nearly as exciting, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. The the novelty's worn off. Um, having said that, I th- yeah, at least we've got some good news in as far as the vaccinations, and we can kind of see an end to it. So it's been really hard for lots of people, and I think I'm very mind- this this second time round. I'm really mindful that it's not the same for everybody. I think the first time round, we all felt like we were all in it together, and everybody was going through the same thing. And the second time round, depending on what industry you work in, depending on your home circumstances, your finances, it can feel, you know, very different. So I'm very mindful that we have to be really kind to each other about that. Yeah, that's that's, that's crucial at the moment. Because um, the thing is, people get stressed and tempers fray and people act out of character. So it's just keep bringing yourself back, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And just remembering. That everyone's probably a bit stressed and yeah. maybe not <laughs> being their best selves at the moment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know you, take me back to the young Nikki who left school and <laughs> went out into the world. What 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 direction did you take? Oh, gosh. Well, I was a bit of a... I didn't really know what to do with myself, so I just kept on studying until they finally said, right, that's it, you've done enough, off you go, at the age of 21. So I've got my college studying. And I kind of just tried my hand at a few things, and, uh, oh, Stuart, I started off in marketing for a sticky tape company, and then I ended up in recruitment. I was working in the city of London with uh, people in stocks and shares, uh, I started going out with the manager of a heavy metal band, so I decided that I was a, a rock chick, um, and I lived at the Marquee Club practically. And, and really? uh, yeah, yeah, it was all about the hair and the tattoos, not not my tattoos, other people's. Um, and I decided I wanted to go into the music industry, so I changed everything. I, I did a typing course and got myself a job as a secretary for a music agent in Soho. Um, 
loved that stayed in the music industry for a long time and worked my way up through the ranks so I was a publicist traveling doing a lot of traveling teaching people how to do interviews and look after musicians and some other celebrities the guy I worked for was a real entrepreneur and he would you know we had people like Brian Adams uh, Van Morrison were on our books but we also Carl my boss was very good at picking up other acts so we ended up with people like uh, Tony Jacklin doing a book tour and the Chippendales doing a show with this you know so it was great fun it's really good fun but then I kind of thought you know I'll do a bit too much traveling getting a bit uh worn out with um the drink and drugs and that was again other people's <laughs> not mine but yeah. so, so I, I I changed again and went into journalism worked for a little bit for some consumer magazines like Good Housekeeping but really fell into hairdressing quite quickly back in the 90s and ended up at Hairdressers Journal um, which was really interesting actually and the hairdressing industry reminded me a lot of my music people so it but I didn't travel as much so it was really it was lovely and I kind of I didn't choose hairdressing it chose me and that was that was that 20 something years ago so from that I've stayed in publishing so I am really professionally speaking what you'd call a journalist but things over the years have grown internet's grown events have become really important so now I own a company and we run magazines websites and events for hairdressing so that's where you know me from tribute magazine is my print magazine that comes out on a quarterly basis um we have respect which is an online website which hosts podcasts the respectfully podcast where i met you we do talks called the lab talks listen and learn which again you've joined us on we and we also own and promote color world so we have the Colour World venue, any colourist listening, and that's a big event every year and a website. And we also have Hair Club Live, which is um, for people who want to sort of come along to live events and show off what they can do. So that's actually, Hair Club Live is like bringing it back to the music because we hire music venues and put hairdressers on the, on the stage for 10 minutes and ask them to show us what they can do. So that's, that's me in a, in a hopefully nutshell. Well, it, you know, like, I think all hairdressers think they're rock and roll. You know, there's, there's, <laughs> there's the performer. I mean, the hairdressing, you know, I've been, I'm a hairdresser, I've been a hairdresser 42 years. And, you know, on a, Saturday, a busy Saturday, you're on stage. In fact, in my salon, I used to have a thing, a little sign above the door coming out the staff room, smile, you're about to go on stage, you know. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Well, it is that, and I mean, I think most musicians will tell you that it's the it's the performing, the live part of being a musician that really gets them going. You do get, you know, people who love their songwriting, and you do occasionally get bands who don't perform much. But mostly, it's about that interaction with the audience, and that's very like a hairdresser. It's like you all you need your clients, you need to do hair on real people, and and you love that interaction and that you know. You can really, you can change somebody with a haircut in the same way as you can change someone's mood with the song. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm one of those people. If I if I need to change my mindset in some way, you know, if I'm a bit down or a bit bored or a bit lonely or whatever, music does it for me. I put on put on a tune, and that can completely make me a, a, a different person. So, and the other, so big part of the, the company is about 
sort of events and that. So you're like a, you know, I do know people in, who've got music venues. I've got a family member who's got a massive music venue. And it, this year, like, it's just, oh. it's, it's just took the rug out of people, isn't it? So what's it been yeah. like for the hairdressing events industry? Well, it has also been very difficult because we do rely, we're a business like any other. We've got, you know, staff to, to pay and children at home to feed. And that was quite challenging. We started off at the beginning of the year thinking, okay, we can, we'd already got events on sale. For example, I'd got an event that was happening in May, um, Colour World. So by, by the time March, and it happened really quickly, if you remember, we were all like pottering along and suddenly it felt like, you know, we had a week or two's notice that, this was lockdown was going to happen we didn't realize how long it was going to be for so we started off moving things so you'd be saying right if this was going to happen in may let's move it to july and then as time went on it was like oh well let's move it to september um but you know it was beginning to really dawn on us that not only was that still risky but also hairdressing salons were closed so the minute they were going to be open people weren't going to want to come to your event they were going to be too busy working Mm. so it was quite scary the Brands, the sponsors who helped pay for these events were mostly pretty good, I have to say, and they were certainly good with me. I very quickly came up with a plan to put my event on what we call a TV platform and make it a live broadcast. So we managed to actually record, have people working live and stream our event in September. It was a big risk financially. It was massively expensive and I didn't really make on it but the brands all came with me and they supported it so that was amazing I know we've got other big events that haven't been able to happen you know Salon International and lots of awards events so that has been quite difficult um what has really saved hairdressing is the massive amount of goodwill you know people coming online watching you wanting to engage do follow you live so that's been that's helped us all feel connected so business-wise financially it's been bad not as bad as the music industry where people literally haven't been able to uh, perform or present or come to anything. So I'm hesitant to complain because we have managed to get a few event- events going through through broadcasting them. But, um, yeah, it has been quite a struggle and definitely a big hit financially. Yeah, I, I think um, it's it's been one of those things that even if we're not making money, we still want to be seen to be going. Uh, and it's a bit like that with the theatre world I I, I saw yesterday that the theatres are going to open up at at a loss that's just so desperate to be open that they're willing you know because the thing is if they have to close half the seats they don't make 50% profit they might make 20% profit so they're probably opening at half half occupancy uh, and probably making a 30% loss you know so but people need to be well, well there's, there's two sides of it, isn't there? Well, you've got to be able to do something because it's, you know, it's all very well putting somebody, even if you're on furlough, you don't want to be at home all the time. You don't want to be left out. You know, that's that's really damaging to all our, our mental health, but also financially. What you've got to really remind ourselves all the time is that, yes, you see these sort of well-known, um, very successful artists who seem to make a lot of money, but behind that, there's a whole masses, many times more people who aren't making a lot of money, who who either are, are younger or less well-known artists, but also the technical, the production, the venues, the people that work at them. You know, you, you might see one person or a five-piece band on stage or a show with, you know, 20 performers in it, but there's going to be at least three or four times the number of people behind them working at the theatre, selling the tickets, 
doing the lights, the sound, you know, all of that kind of thing. And these people need to make a living as well. Well, that's and that's the thing that that some are um, employed by certain, you know, you know, like the theatres and that, and in hairdressing. You get the element now that, and hairdressing changed massively, that people are employed, it's simple to have the furlough to a degree, but then there's lots of self-employed people. And it's, yeah. it's how long they've been self-employed. If they've not, you know, if they've maybe only been in it a couple of years, they don't get paid. So they're literally no. getting universal credit, 75 yeah. quid a week or something. And if they've got kids, it's really tough. Yeah, um, it's really difficult. And then and then within that, you've got people who've got other things going on at home. You know, it's not just always about the, the work. You've got people who are going through all sorts of challenges at home, maybe with, you know, health issues and so on, who would normally, you know, expect to be looked after by an employer, for example. And those situations aren't being accounted for. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, just in my work in the podcasting side of my work, well, there's another side. There's, I've got a few sides. One of my sides of my work is addictions and things. And, and we've found that people this year particularly have, have, have struggled. You know, people that have got maybe got a program or, you know, support in place, it all sort of stopped. Yeah. So they're, you know, things that they were reliant on, maybe meetings and things like that. As they stopped, many, many people have sort of fell off the wagon and got, you know, back into their their old ways and that that's yeah. been a struggle but doing the podcast i came across a few people halfway through the first lockdown and realized the percentages that domestic violence has gone because you know you've got people like locked inside with their perpetrator and it you yeah. know like it went the, the levels went up extortionately and yeah. i've done a week where i just focused on three absolute heroes who have gone through this and, and, you know, strong enough to tell their story. It's the hardest week I've been through, you know. Oh, it's really difficult. And I think you just don't, um, well, you don't know what's going on, but I think it's sort of, if you really think it through, there's there's some pretty awful situations. People stuck in with, with people where they're suffering abuse. You've got other kinds of abuse, whether it's domestic abuse, you know, physical, um, whether it's child abuse or sexual abuse. Um, and, and people who are also usually would get more support, maybe who are looking after um, children who've got, you know, severe learning needs, for example, who've... Um, not had a break they've not had other agencies you know saying okay well today's the day we do this or you go off to that center there or you know we've got care in the home i've got um, a really close friend who's really um been trying to support his daughters very unwell with with a brain tumor and it's been horrendous for him and his wife you know even going on hospital appointments with their daughter there's been times when only one of them might have been allowed in rather than both of them um you know a friend another friend of mine ended up with a heart condition and needed a triple bypass and his wife wasn't allowed to see him from the minute he went to the hospital you know and I was thinking what if he doesn't come home and then the last time she saw him you know was two weeks ago when he walked so it's all these things that you just don't realise. Um, there's so much talked about the financial side of things and the economy and so on, but actually, oh, away from the money, there's a hell of a lot else. Yeah, and I think I think we're going to have long-term effects on both sides of that. I mean, there, there's people that have really struck, because there's, there's one aspect, like we said, about all of those things, but there's another aspect of people that are just on their own. You know, I know people that 
live on their own um, and normally cope very well. But in lockdown, you know, if you're in a flat um, and you've got and you're in a and you, you know you haven't got anywhere else, that that becomes very like um, <laughs> depressing. And people yeah. people have really struggled about being like, loneliness. I think has really come to its fore this yeah. year. Yeah, I think it's really lonely, and I think that um, for those of us that you know perhaps are well connected and literally have the technology and understand how to use it, you have to remember also there are other people who don't have that. Maybe they don't have. Um, you know, good internet. Maybe they don't know how to use Zoom or WhatsApp or, you know, wouldn't know how to engage or maybe a a bit nervous about doing that. You know, we're all a bit inclined to send an email rather than make a phone call these days. And we've been trying to to work um, on our social media. We've been trying to encourage people to say, you know, make a call. Don't just you know, do a post and the value of um, a personal text message, you know, they, if somebody's feeling really down, I mean, veering towards, you know, suicidal, a personal text message pinging on their phone at the right minute could just divert them away from feeling just so desperate, you know, so we've all got to be a lot better at not assuming people are okay and if you haven't seen someone for a while give them a ring you know drop them a text message send a card you know keep in touch because it's very easy to get wrapped up in what you're doing and not remember yeah i mean people like my mum like my mum's 83 she hasn't got a mobile phone i can't you know so i can't i can't um you know I can't FaceTime her or I can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I have to get in my car and get there, you know, and I have to, and the first lockdown, I had to sit in a garden, but this time it's, it's been, it's been better because the first time we were scared because we didn't quite know, we didn't know the, the extent of it. We didn't know the, the, you know, it, to the point we didn't, I mustn't even touch anything that we're touching and yeah. I know we've got to be really, really careful, but this time we understand the beast a bit more and, you know, I've been able to go and see my mum. We've got the bubble going. and But without that, it, yeah. it, it would be devastating for yeah. her and the people in the care homes. Uh, I, I think, and then going back to what we were saying, then, then the other side of things, that's the human side. The other side is business. Yeah. Now, the hairdressing industry that I, uh, that I love is, is, in, is in terrible danger, I think, you know, because... We've got some short, short-term solutions in place with the government, and they, you know whether you like them or not, there has been some help there. Yeah, there's many, many salons who who are uh, uh, you know they've even estimated something like twenty percent of salons aren't going to be out running their doors next year, which is yeah a horrific amount. Yeah, I think it is really it's very very stressful. I think you've got people who've you know worked a long time, worked really hard, and deserve for their businesses to be doing well. And through things totally beyond their control, you know they're looking at. Uh, I know people are really down about thinking that the end of their career is going to be the closure of their business, and that's really really hard to come to terms with. You know that's almost like being sacked. Um, yeah. You know that that feeling. I think for me, there um, have been some really brilliant resources um, in the industry, and people sharing and watching what people are talking about and worrying about. I think the rents, um, the landlords, is one of the biggest challenges that I see, um, and that's not even just the sort of well, 
it's especially the bigger salons almost in city centres you know you've got these massive rents where you know a bit of a, a, a grant at the beginning of lockdown just didn't even cover one month's payment if you know what I mean so I think that's really challenging whether you're in a big or a small place I think that's a, a big thing and then client confidence getting clients back without having to hike your prices up so we need that VAT cut you know that would be amazing if we could get some support from the government to recognize that you know cutting the VAT on hairdressing services would allow salons it would make that difference between can they reopen or can they reopen and actually make money um, even if it's a tiny bit and not well uh, there's uh, the first part of that is landlords so I know exactly what you mean because two years ago you know I'd had my salon for 30 years and we had to close the door because the landlord doubled the rent so yeah. I, I went through this. I know I know what people are facing. This is why I'm, you know, like it's it's personal to me because I went through the worst case scenario two years ago, um, but it wasn't a pandemic. It was just purely the the situation of the high street and a, <laughs> an unfriendly yeah. landlord. Now, um, it, it is exactly what you said. It, it's a loss, and it was at a time when I thought I didn't, you know, I knew I had a sort of small business, so I knew it weren't going to be, you know. I wasn't going to be living in the Caribbean, but I did think, I didn't think at the end of 30 years that I would actually then be left, walk away, lock the doors, owing yeah. money, you know, yeah. owing the landlord, you know, the dilapidations that he came up with was then another, I opened that, I opened that email on, on Christmas yeah. Eve. <laughs> you know, <and> you think, <laughs> how, how did you cope with it though? I mean, what kind of, what, what, because I am, you know, earlier this year, I thought to myself, you know, I'm not having, you know, I am not closing. This is not going to be the end of my career. If it kills me, I'm going to keep my business going and close it when I choose to close it. And I found I've come to terms with it now over time. Yeah. If I wasn't able to go on next year, now actually I feel more reconciled to that really isn't my choice. And I have managed this year to keep my team employed. And I've managed to keep going. How did you come to terms with what happened? To be honest, um, uh, and I'm, I'm getting, I don't know why I'm getting quite upset now because it's actually I think last week it was exactly two years ago that we closed those doors mm. and um, what, what happened was uh, it, it just came on us so quick and then to sort of the final now was that he emailed me to say he was going to put a for sale sign up a for rent right. sign because I'd said I can't cope I'm going to have to give I'm going to yeah. have to not renew my lease uh, but at that point, I hadn't told anyone. My sister was on holiday, uh, and I phoned her in on holiday, and, and I said, uh, I'm going to have to close the doors today because I can't – I've got to tell the staff that we – you know, some of them worked for me for 26 years. Oh, gosh, how? I said, I've got to tell the staff before – I can't let them come in next week and see if to let balled up and then yeah. find out that way. So I couldn't see any other way than to say, right, I'm sorry, but it's done. I went into personal debt over it. I, I had a second mortgage on my house. I'd done everything. Oh. <laughs> I trained as a, I was one of the first, uh, Alan Austin Smith, who does a fantastic job in the industry. Yeah. Uh, I was one of his first coaches. You know, I, I spent so many hours working and training with him. Um, but I, it's the same thing. Doctors don't take their own prescriptions. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. so, you know if I was coaching someone, Five yeah. years previous to that point, I'd have said, "Don't throw any more money at it. It's done its time. You've, you've, you've yeah. you know, like there." Uh, but 
because it was so personal, it was like yeah. 30 years of my life. Yeah. I was like, uh, I'm sorry about the house phone. No, I, right. I was like, oh, I, I couldn't, I just, I couldn't see any way out, you know. Yeah. And then the problem being that um, I, I did have to, I just I did have to go, f- just go to the point where it's it's done. Yeah. But what I what I did, you you asked how I coped. The the, the first thing I did, if my sister was there, she would have stopped me. <laughs> I told the staff I was in tears they all left and then I was left on my own and my sister's my sort of she's the yin to my yang so she she would have grounded me and said you know but I I was so emotional when I'd done this little selfie video where you know poured my heart out and then turned the lights off this is the last time I'm oh no oh my god right now (laughs) Then and I and I put that on Facebook and I yeah. you know like looking back I think what earth you? I can't even watch it I, it's still there no, no. I oh, bet yeah. that shook a few people up watching well, that but because we I didn't realise how well known we were you know we we did yeah. have a name in our part of the country and we did we were very well known and we'd always sort of try to do our best and 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 lead by example and do you know like yeah. so we had a certain standard and people couldn't believe that we were shutting our doors and I got swamped with all these messages but I got lots and lots of private messages from salon owners and that who were very successful you know yeah. but they were saying do you know what we're in the same boat yeah between you and I we're yeah. moving from one VAT to the next yeah we're, we're borrowing money we're doing this this and this and I thought uh, it, it seemed to help yeah, to feel that it wasn't you. Know, like, that, you know, we're all we're all in this. Yeah. Going to your second point, going back to the VAT, this is why I know that I'm so 100, even though it doesn't affect me personally, I'm so passionate about smashing that VAT because yeah. it literally doesn't make sense. Yeah. My, my friend's an optician. He's got eight opticians um, and he gets, he pays a certain amount for, um, a VAT, a lower amount for the testing because that's a yeah. personal service. Yeah. The normal rate for glass that they sell. Yeah. Now, we know that over the years that our retail sales have gone down. Yeah. So, you know, it's a very small, our retail sales, a very small percentage. So by that same um, logic, it means that we shouldn't be paying, We, you know, on our services, we shouldn't be yeah. paying that amount. No. It doesn't make sense. We can't, we pay 20% of our turnover. Yeah. If you've got, you know, if you've got like a couple of hundred thousand pound turnover, that massive yeah. chunk, you're only going to claim your VAT date on on five percent of that. Yeah, five yeah. percent of that. It doesn't make sense. No, sorry. and it makes it over. It, sorry. No, no, but it's true. It's a, it makes a massive difference to um, the client. You know, I mean, that's a, that's you know, that's a sale. If you had twenty percent off something, that would make you buy something, wouldn't it? You know. So I think it is. And it's not being able to now the cost to hairdressers, particularly at this time of reopening um, with the protection, with the PPE, with the spacing. And we've shown, haven't we, with figures, I think there were figures released recently which showed that, you know, there's something like 0.05% risk of catching COVID in a salon where everybody's, you know, so aware of the health and safety. We had the event that we did manage to record and broadcast back in September, we had over two days... 75 plus people coming to our studios to record so that we could do this broadcast and we ran that 
it was all hairdressers, colorists. They all knew how to wear, you know, PPE, how to respect space, how to keep them clean. We didn't have one single person report sick after that two days. You know, for the following two weeks, I was nervous in case Track and Trace would get in touch and we'd have to be phoning people up and saying, you've got to isolate nothing because everybody knew how to be safe and that's shown in the way salons are run in the last few months so it is really cruel that they've got the extra cost of that you can't make the shop nearly as profitable as it used to be and you've still got to pass over the VAT and you're you're trying to make clients feel safe well the the long-term thing of it as well because a lot of salons are having to close certain units you know so they may have closed 40 percent of their units it goes back to the same principle as the theatres yeah. You know, if you're only running on on um, sort of ten percent profit, if you're lucky, and yeah. then you, shut, you turn you, you close off forty percent of your turnover, yeah. you don't have to be the brain of Britain to work out yeah. it's not going, it's not sustainable. I know. And it's really difficult. And as you mentioned, and as I felt, you know, it's so personal when you are a business owner. Of course, it's personal. You take it as what have I done wrong? Why can't I make this work? And yeah. so on. So I think it's really important that we keep hearing that it isn't you it is Mm. you know a general felt thing can you see then looking back now in the last couple of years i know it's always a bit sometimes it's a bit annoying when people say oh well it's always for the best you know opportunity (laughs) comes out things sometimes you'll be like i don't want to hear that but you have you know done so much else in the last couple of years are you reconciled to having closed your salon now how do you how do you feel about it obviously you're emotional because i can see you are emotional talking about it but do you think to yourself okay actually now with distance i can see that i've been able to now do other things or is it still painful um no i i i thank god every day that i haven't got a salon and i know that's selfish and i don't mean that i don't mean that to offend anyone but purely for the fact that I just really feel for everyone. I know what they must be going through at the yeah. moment. And I'm just, I'm just grateful I haven't got that now, you know. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that um, things are meant to happen. Uh, I, you know, we had, a, we had a great fun for 30 years, you know. We had, we had, and it was, if I then look, if I, if I look at the first 20 years, it was amazing, you know, and it's, the struggle yeah. was the last 10 years. And I've said this before. Because I was a bit punch drunk from the high street and the small business and the things that were happening, the first day I went and cut someone's hair six years ago this week to uh, in a homeless centre, it reignited my passion for what I went into the industry for. Because yeah. I went into the industry and I was hooked from day one yeah. of people coming in and walking out looking and feeling better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to be a hairdresser and we go in, we love that that thing. You know, we don't go in, we don't go into hairdressing to work out a VAT and to, you know, we go we love we love doing hair, we love feeling creative when we when we do some hair. Yeah. yeah. And then at the top of that, the human contact, the yeah. human reward of the mirror, the magic mirror. Yeah. You know, whether yeah. you're in a, a Knightsbridge salon or I'm in the Whitechapel Mission, yeah. put that mirror up and the, 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 just that, that yeah. exchange, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, that's, 
I think it's amazing. No, I do. And I'm, 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 <laughs> no, 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 it's, in, it's really interesting. And that buzz, because you're lost. I can see you on screen. You're lost in that, telling me the story of how amazing it is. <laughs> it is. And, and I think, you know, I'm not a hairdresser, but I've been around you guys now for 20-something years. And I do think it's, I can see how um, you need to do it. You know, in lockdown, after three or four months, I could see hairdressers just feeling really stressed by not being able to express. It's like having your language taken away from you, mm. you know this is how you express yourselves how you connect how you talk to people if I go and, and meet somebody a hairdresser you know because I'm going to do an interview and so on the first thing they want to do is do my hair and they're much happier talking to me through the mirror yeah. while they do my hair and I've learned now if I say no no my hair's fine or we'll just have a cup of tea it's almost uncomfortable yeah. most people prefer this is how you show me you know yeah. what you what you are inside and I think I'm almost I feel quite evangelical about hair salons as being really important to a community that you know often for the elderly you know the old lady that comes in once a week it's the only time anybody touches her you know maybe nobody in her life touches her anymore because she doesn't have grandchildren nearby she doesn't have people you know it's like um so I think that's so important and it's it's a bit of a joke isn't it that there's somebody at the back while she's sort of fallen asleep but actually how lovely it is that they feel so comfortable there you know you go past a salon I go past salons near where I live in sort of Hounslow and Acton and things sort of late on a Friday night. It's like a nightclub, you know, you, especially the black and Afro hairdressers. It, they're really yeah. community centres, people chatting and sharing and just popping in. Um, you know, kids, my, I watched my boys transition from being little boys getting their hair cut to sort of going to the barbers. And now it's one of the first things that they I let them do when they were, you know, 12, 13 was to give them the money and they could go in on their own and they just felt so important yeah. and yeah. that was their the you know becoming a man if you like and I, I just think you know and you hear you hear it, it's so important that um empowering people to earn a living you know lots of schemes in places in Africa and India and places where it's really important to teach people a trade yeah. you know teaching them hairdressing gives people power it gives them status it gives them dignity yeah. you know I think it's really well, you've, you've just touched on something else that we've I've been trying for two years with this, so it's, a, it's going to be a long-term project, this one, but the Haircuts Famous Academy. So last year we spent with Lonnie, who I met at the when we filmed the advert in Ipswich for the lottery that really catapulted our charity. Yeah. Um, and I spent a year with Lonnie, and now we've taken a new girl on, um, Lee. Uh, we just started with her. And um, I think last week, uh, Jordana Cabella came down kindly gave her this you know actually Hodges has been down people are so generous with their time yeah. you know um and, and Jewel Dada was there I didn't really need to be doing much you know so I ended up getting a, a head and I yeah. I'd done some hair yeah and I, it was really funny because she was working with Lee and they were she, they were doing great work with her and she was a, and I was like doing my little bit at the side in between taking the odd picture and then I sort of as I finished I was waiting for Jordana to tell me how well I'd done <laughs> <laughs> and I was still got my little head and I was going oh I've done this now and I was yeah, yeah. you know and I was I was 16 year old hairdresser again and I actually put it on Instagram and oh, I was feeling yeah. the love again. Oh, it's nice cut and colour all that. And I was it's interesting, isn't it? So how is so when you're working with the homeless, what kind of hairdressing is it? Do, does 
do, when you're training people, is it the same as work as they would do in the salon, or is it like you know there's some uh, things that is really important to learn about? Well, what we've what we've the model we've got that we're working on is we we come across a lot of people that have got some previous experience. Right, Lonnie last year, uh, Lee this year, had uh, uh, actually both completed their level two training when their circumstances changed. So right. they need a lots and lots of confidence building and some skills to brush up with and so right. to, to unlearn some new, you know, some old habits and stuff. Uh, on top of that, they've got their own personal things that we have to take in for account. So it's not straightforward, you know, at all. Right. But the plan is, whereas my ego sort of thought within two months we'd have an academy, even even to the point where I was in negotiations <laughs> with this the, the great big unit in Romford that they were going to you know, like, you know, like, Big, big, I like that, dream big. Yeah, and then my, my sister, my sister going, <laughs> do, do you really think, you know? Uh, and then so working with the wonderful jet training in Basildon, who just so generously, we get the run of the place, you know, whatever we need, they give us. And there's many, many uh, training centres across the Britain, you know, privately owned training centres, yeah. that I know would happily do the same thing. So rather than flood their doors with, with uh, people with challenges like this, it's like, let's all take one person, you'll get plenty of people who will give their time yeah. to, to help them and, and mentor them. And it's not just... It's not just the session in there. We find there's a bit of, we've got a lovely lady called Rachel who does the teaching for us. We get guest people coming along, but they all go in the WhatsApp group and they all give encouragement, encouragement, yeah. and, and, you know, throughout the time between, you know. Yeah. So it's, that, it's more like mentoring. And so, yeah. like, if you think how many um, of, of these places there are in the UK, they, I'm sure we could actually get this, this is definitely can that. Now I know how it works and how I can advise okay. people, we can get this across the UK, I'm sure. So this is, so tell me then, so this is um, about training somebody whose circumstances um, has at some point disadvantaged them, put them on the streets, perhaps themselves they've experienced that. So to give, to empower them with a craft that they can then take forward and, and support themselves. That's how it, Yeah. yeah. We want to help them oh, back into the workplace, you know. Uh, yeah. But we want to, rather than take someone who, who you know, straight, uh, uh, you know, it's not practical to take someone who's living on the street at the moment. No. But okay. it's more like people are at the halfway stage. So they've got the first part of their journey sort of in, on the, in place or on the mend. And yeah. then we're sort of helping them through the second part of their journey. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, it's a, you know, you've got to be realistic. Yeah. I think it's, it's an interesting, Stuart, because I do think this whole question of homelessness is something that there are so many misconceptions about. I was yeah. talking to a hairdresser a couple of weeks ago on a podcast, um, a, a lovely girl. She's um, you know been hairdressing for quite a long time, but she was saying to me that at one point in her history, she had been homeless, yeah. but she, the salon where she worked, she never told them. She was sort of turning up for work every day. She was managing. Yeah. She might have been, you know, sofa surfing or, or, you know, I didn't inquire too closely. Um, and then actually somebody else in the conversation suddenly perked up and said, oh, yeah, that actually happened to me. Yeah. And I thought, I wonder if, um, if you really took a look around at your team, do you really know where they live? Do you really know 
yeah. what their circumstances are. I was very struck by um, uh, a film that Crisis at Christmas had put out probably a couple of years ago with a young man talking to the camera and saying, you know, this Christmas, really check up on people. You know, that cousin that you haven't seen for a few years or, or that one who never comes home for Christmas because they're doing so well and they can't afford the time. Are they really doing that well? Is that the real reason they don't come home? You know, so... And that struck me with... with um, Verity and, and Daryl were sharing their experiences on the podcast, so I'm not breaking any confidences because they do say it themselves. But they, you know, I thought to myself, I wonder how many salon owners, if you actually really lined up your whole team, do you really know what they do outside salon hours? Is there somebody who could really do with a bit more support? I think uh, this, this, this is the, uh, an essential part is knowing your team, you know. Um, yeah. And it's uh, the bigger the bigger the organisation, the, the more difficult it is to know all your team, you know. Easy for a little tiny salon, they're just a little family, as was very family orientated, but yeah. but some not. But you need to really find out without being intrusive, but you need to find out what is going on. Um, yeah. because they, we, we talk about homelessness as, as an extreme, but there's so many things that lead up to it before yeah. you get to that point, you know. Um, I've, I came across it so many times, I'd have a little gem of a trainee, you know, and then all of a sudden you just see him start to deteriorate and then yeah. you'd have a chat. I was lucky because I had my sister, so a lot of, you know, she I, she was the mum, mother hen. Yeah, so she could get it out of them. Yeah, she could, you know, and it, it would, nine times out of ten, it would be like a new boyfriend on the scene with a bad influence or maybe very, like, um, bad situation at home, you know, yeah. parents and things like that. And it was often a, a lot. You, you can't end up doing it, this. It's such a person. It's such a people business without yeah. getting involved in people, can you? You know, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, like you say, watching out for them signs and seeing if there is any way you can support. Yeah, I think so. I think it's you know, don't they say now? I mean, finance is one of the biggest reasons why people end up um, losing a secure and safe place yeah. to, to live. You know, we're all one one paycheck away or one rent check you know these days it's very quick that you know if you get behind it's very hard to catch up and then also you know to to be able to to rent somewhere you have to put in so much money in deposits and advance rents and you know in a lot of cities to areas the rents have gone sky high anyway so I think it is it's you know not always about choice it's not always about mental health it's not always about addictions and things sometimes it really is finances that just puts you there well that'll get you there but when you are there that's when a lot of the other stuff will come on you know not not every person who's homeless as you know you've done you've done a lot of stuff with um uh in in this field and the thing is often the addictions come after you're in that position yeah um and the thing is I, i i'm i'm 14 and a half years sober, I do a lot of work with addictions, but even I understand when you're freezing cold. Yeah. Um, you know, and you're on your own and you, you're feeling terrible that you don't want a sandwich. You know, you want to yeah. drink. You know, like, yeah. you want to, you know what I mean? It, it, I, yeah. I, I know it's not the right thing. I know, because I know no. how it works out, 
but yeah. you can understand the draw to yeah. it, you know. Well, I think you often get that, don't you, with people. So there's always a big argument about should you um, give people money on the streets, you know, wh- what help does it do? And you often, I feel that you quite often hear people then being quite judgmental. Oh, well, you know, I gave them five quid. I expect they then use that for this, that and the other. And it's a bit like I always say to people, don't give anybody any money if you're going to judge how they use it. You know, if yeah. you give them money because... You know, when you are sitting on a cold pavement, which honestly none of us would sit there for an hour by choice. It's not an easy way to spend your day. It's not it's not somebody just begging for the sake of it, you know. You've got to be feeling pretty low to do that. Yeah. You're gonna live in the moment. You're not gonna save all your money up so at the end of the week you can buy a nice new sleeping bag or something like that. You're you're living minute to minute. It's like if I can literally stay awake for the next half an hour maybe i'll get enough for a cup of tea and i'll put 25 sugars in it and that'll give me enough energy to come back and sit you know so it's the i think it's that sort of you know think about it think what you're doing if you're giving somebody some money do it willingly don't judge them you know maybe they wouldn't use it the way that you would choose if you don't want to do that then there's other things you can do and there's lots of other ways that you can help as you say the last few years i have become very um interested yeah. in the situation and and tried to help and um, both with hairdressers you know i know a lot of hairdressers help both now you've got your your haircuts for homeless but also crisis at christmas and giving yeah. their time so i do see that a lot and it is time but it's also given me a much better understanding of how and why people end up um in the situation where they don't have somewhere safe to go and I, i've i've been in Oxford Street on a Saturday night doing dinners at, at one of the churches and people coming in who you know you sort of think gosh they look really clean and tidy and, and well dressed and you wouldn't think they'd be here catching you know a free supper and maybe they have got a roof over their head but they can't afford to put the electricity on or they haven't got any way to make a cup of tea we had one lady would come in always with her thermos flask and ask if we could give her some boiling water so that the next morning she could have a cup of tea mm. you know and you think that is that sort of thing you don't that never gets really said or explained and I think that's where I find it you know my my role as a communicator Mm. I think is to help share that and to give people a better understanding of of things and you know I am one of the media Stuart but I despair sometimes our national press writes things really thoughtlessly and without explaining I mean they do it about everything I think the media's been dreadful over lockdown but on this issue of, of um homelessness and what what it means and how we can all help i think the media doesn't do its part hardly at all well uh, it, it, there's like any other industry that's good and bad and there's you know i've had i've had a lot of experience now in the six years we've been going of media you know because uh, yeah. we've been lucky enough to get that so I've been I've experienced really good media coverage and really awful media coverage. Yeah. You no, know, um, I, I was just going to say I can't say I don't care. BBC, I was shocked at the BBC. Now, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'm not shocked at them anymore. Me, I've got no money anyway. <laughs> 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 they, you know, like it, it, they they sort of came along and covered us, and and uh, they sort of like. It was it was also contrived and, and set up and you know like and I thought well if they're doing this on a little news story you know saying yeah. I'll go and stand over there and you know which yeah. say you're going off to the job centre uh, what are they doing with the big stuff 
you know, yeah. The, yeah. where's the integrity? Because I thought, oh, the BBC are coming, you know. Yeah. yeah I've had other things, um, uh, other people cover us, and they've been so respectful. Yeah. I mean, Jack, who done the the director for the National Lottery campaign. Yeah. Now, I know the National Lottery, you know, I do. they do believe in helping people. I really believe that. But I know there's also, any, anyone's going to realise that it's a way to sell more tickets, which is fine. Yeah. But, but they give £30 million a week yeah. to good causes. So they are practising what they preach, you know. Yeah. Um, but the respect that they, they've done with that filming, they filmed yeah. over two days for a 60-second advert, yeah. you know. Yeah. So there's really great coverage, um, but there's also some very sensationalistic stuff goes on as well, you yeah. know. Yeah, I think so. And I think that does, you know, I have to take a bit of a deep breath now. All my friends and the, and the girls at work all know that they have to be careful what they say around me because I'm, I'm, right, I'm right on it. <laughs> I think it is interesting. And I know, you know, hairdressers in particular obviously have got a service, a really valuable service that they can share. But even just as people, just yeah. learning how to look at people, you know, the name of your podcast, See Me, Hear Me, See Me. And yeah. I think... Um, I've learned now and I, I didn't know how to help I didn't know what to do I didn't know how to show my respect and I've learned you know just simply look at somebody look yeah. at them in the eye you know try sitting on the ground and looking up at somebody you know bend down have a conversation you know try and have a chat that's as interesting as putting money in in, in my experience you know it's being maybe that's the only conversation you're going to have all day um, and I think that's the sort of thing that, you know, we can all do that. That doesn't cost any of us anything. I mean, the name came from my lots of experience of, of, of many people saying to me they felt invisible, yeah. which is see me. Yeah. And, they, and then the other part was thanking me. I've had people like, oh, thank, thanks so much for talking to me today. Yeah. And you think like, where are we? You know, I know. Where, I know. Are, where are we as a society that someone has to thank you for just saying hello or, you know, how are you doing? Yeah. How's it been going? Yeah. I've done, um, I've, I quite, I quite enjoy, you know, it sounds funny to say, but I do enjoy, and I, you know, it's selfish really because I get a lot out of it. I've, when I've worked as a night owl at the crisis, at Christmas shelters, um, you know, you can have some good old chats there. And I, whether I've worked at different centres where you might have people who have got very challenging addictions and so they might be, you know, in a bad way. But I've had such a laugh as well. You know, being thrashed at table tennis at two in the morning by somebody holding a can of Super Brew was an absolute, you know, revelation to me. <laughs> much better than me and have a conversation at the same time. But a lot of them will say, you know, why? thank you, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. But also why? Why do you come here? Why do you come and help? You know, yeah. and it's like almost why why wouldn't I you know and I ought to and we should all almost have to do a bit of time just to remind ourselves that what goes on in the world and and you hear some dramatic stories some poignant stories you know you have a laugh you meet some really irritating people um yeah. you meet some really fantastic people yeah. and I think it's just that to me has just been such such a revelation um you know and, and meeting people who have to really cope with some some awful situations you know i've somebody's coming out of the rain to to a, a dinner um absolutely soaking wet feet and socks and i've you know been able to give out dry socks and he 
just chucked, put them in his pocket and said, I'll save them for later because, you know, once I've found somewhere that I can sleep tonight, then I'll put the dry socks on. You know, and you sort of think, you don't think about that. Um, you know, once everything gets wet and dirty, what do you do there? You know, just all these things. I know I'm telling you what you know, but I find it really um, compelling. How can we not be more aware of that, you know? I'm and it's surprising. It is surprising that, like, there's there's stereotypes that get shattered when you actually get in there and do the work with people and meet the people. That's when the stereo. Like recently, we were at um, a um, YMCA in Milton Keynes. Now it's a crowd of kids in uh, you know they're kids. You know they think they're older, but to me, well, I'm old, so they're all like kids. To me, you know, <laughs> Not but, that old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sixty soon, so I'm like you know. But uh, th- you know, like they. Th- th- I, the stereotype of these kids, seeing how they were dressed, how they act, how they spoke. Yeah. You saw them at, like, and they, they do hang around out there, I suppose, somewhere in the car parks or what. And you would look and you would think a certain way about them. Yeah. But my experience then, when we actually got in there, started cutting hair and they got, they trusted us and we was chatting and all these things. They were respectful. They were helpful. You know, there was a young girl who just so seemed so vulnerable, you know, and quiet and that, but she she desperately wanted to sweep up, <laughs> you know, and it was just that she just wanted to help, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it it does. If you want to shatter your illusions and your, your misconceptions, just make contact and, and go and even spend an hour at one of some of these places. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think um, it's it's really important to challenge yourself there's lots of ways you can help that you don't mean that you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone but there i do think it's interesting to do it i was um so this year a lot of people might not be aware but there's been a big push to get help get people off the streets particularly because of covid and the risk to them and so there's been a lot of um hotels have been taken as as shelters where people can have their be safe in an individual space but also it gives an opportunity to really try and give people the support they need to get off the streets so that they don't go back onto the streets if you like um and i was doing um a shift the other day with a chap who works for st mungo's for one of the the big um charities that's very well known and very well established and it was his first time he'd actually worked with people the street homeless because he works in the offices he works in procurement which is getting all the the things in you know and he was saying gosh this is you know really puts things in a different perspective now actually coming and meeting people and and having chats and and a laugh and you know understanding the importance of what he was doing when he was at his desk being translated into really helping people um which i think is really interesting that's valuable and i think any anyone running that size charity you know should make sure that everyone across the board goes and work does that yeah. you know because they're, they're, they're only for the sake that they'll really believe in what they're doing you yeah. know it'll, it'll triple like the amount of effort they'll put in once yeah. they go and see you there absolutely yeah. it's like that and um, there's a tv program is it back to the floor or something where yeah. you know the bosses have to swap places and yeah. i think we should all um, you know it's a good reminder every now and then isn't it um, you know, to, to try being the the junior upper or the the team yeah. maker or the sweeper upper yeah. or the whatever yeah. from time to time. Do you get enough help from the industry? I know hairdressers help, but what about the rest of us? The the industry has been amazing. Um, uh, with L'Oreal um, have, have sponsored, have become a big sponsor for us this year. 
Um, Zenate have become a big sponsor for us this year. And the great thing I found with working with L'Oreal um, is that there wasn't sort of caveats. Yeah. You know? In fact, yeah. Lucy was sort of saying to me, I was like, you need to get some other people on board. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, anyone yeah. listening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, do. Well, we should all help yeah. support yeah. you. Because as I say, you know, it's not just you need, what do you need, Stuart? You need, so you need hairdressers, but what else do you need? You need money, I guess. Yeah. So the, 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 what, we've, what we've found is I recently spoke, I had an amazing podcast that came out last week, Taban Shiresh, who, who blew my mind, who's got a, another small charity called The Lotus Flower. Her story was so inspiring, you know, a Kurdish woman going out to Iraq, um, you know, I'm definitely going out there next year as soon as we can travel. But we both spoke about the things of having a small charity. Now, an amount of money is great, but what, what you find is we need to try all small charities, like hers, ours, need to build up a bit of a fund. Right. Not, yeah. You know, we both explained that we were living like from year to year. Now, yeah. that's fantastic. And I'm really grateful. And now we've, we're probably we're probably OK until um, probably April next year. Right? Yeah. You know, so but we, we can't plan. We haven't we can't imp- implement a five year plan. Right, yeah, because you, you like, go, yeah. yeah, you need so, the funding to smooth out the uh, the ups and downs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's the if you could if you if you could get if people are you know like then come on board but agree like you know like a five year plan or a, you know or an amount over the spread out over five you know you can then guarantee because yeah. what people don't always realise that when you get something say from the national lottery you have a finite time so right. you know a current one six months you may get a year. Um, but that has to be gone in that time, or you have to give it back. You can't build funds. So there's other right. people that do it without a caveat that you can just sort of keep it, uh, or you know, uh, yeah. use it That's... later. But for for a charity to have a, a future plan, and uh, you know, this has got to be. This isn't the Stuart Roberts charity. This is Haircuts for Homeless. So yeah. I'm going to die at one point, and I want it to carry yeah. on. That's just the thing, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, no, but I mean, that's why people want you to sign up for those monthly payments, isn't it? So rather, so, you know, when we used to be able to walk down the street, people would be stopping you and trying to get you to sign up to a charity. It's more important for them to have that £10 a month than it is to have 30 quid in one hit and then nothing. So, yeah, yeah, I think um, that's a good point, actually. We should really do, we should get together. I need to have you back on my podcast and back on my platforms. We should actually really help people because I think you know people generally do want to help most people are good-hearted it's just knowing how to it's like we've got to help people have like do this do that if you can do that and then if you've got time do that well and I must say again our industry is amazing for that we're such giving generous beautiful people because you know, in six years, we've got over six, you know, we've opened 67 projects. We've got over 600 volunteers and we've given away over 40,000 free haircuts. Wow. Now, that's all done. I haven't done that. That's, no. I've been a bit of a catalyst, but that's yeah. people getting on board. Um, it's people that's, that then they set up their own project, have given over and above. Uh, volunteers, while I think we're, while we're consistent with volunteers, we only ask half a day once a month. Yeah, it's important not to impose too much. That's very doable for anyone, you know. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. if you can't give half a day once a month, 
for something other than yourself, you then maybe want to question your well, yeah. <laughs> life. Absolutely. Yeah. No, definitely. I think it's getting that habit. And I think for anybody who's, and actually I don't think hairdressers are like this because hairdressers are very outgoing extrovert people as, as we know. But if yeah. somebody's a bit shy of having that one-to-one or thinking, feeling a bit nervous about what that might feel like, it's just as important to do the fundraising. It's just as important yeah. to raise awareness yeah. um, and to give what we can. You know, we've all got something to give. We can all share the message you know yeah. um and, and just support in any way you yeah. know we, we say relate uh, donate or participate yeah. so you know if you don't want to participate and you're not in a position to donate just relate it it's yeah. free to share it's free to support it's free to it's free to follow the podcast you know subscribe to that and give us five stars or, yeah. you know, <laughs> all, all of that stuff it perpetuates i mean yeah. any money coming into this podcast um, and we have had a bit come in it funnels straight into haircuts for homeless. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all like supporting it, it, it and lifting and helping it, it sort of yeah. grow, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the most, what's the most um, common misconception that people share with you, you know, maybe just through just not knowing? What's the, what's the thing you'd always want to put people straight on? What about the homeless? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing I try and... Uh, uh, it, is because it's so such a dark subject is the laughter and and the person behind that that body you know yeah. there are there's a there's a person in there they've got a life story um yeah. i've been blown away i'm getting a bit i mean i've been i've been blown away with some of the people some of the wonderfully talented you know generous funny people that have just got the most dire circumstances yeah. or terrible backstory that have led them to this point. Yeah. You know, um, there's a pe- there's a person behind that. There's yeah. a person in there that, you know, that we just have to respect. Yeah, 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 definitely. Good for you. Good for you. I, I have a lot of respect for you, so <laughs> honestly, I know you, you're very good at um, brushing it off, but, you know, you should accept all our respect because um yeah. you know it is it's not easy you talk about it and and i join you in thinking that we can all help and do something yeah. but on the other hand you've um you know it's a good job your salon closed <laughs> yeah in many ways <laughs> don't you think <laughs> well, my sanity i'm easier to live with now but not much but a bit <laughs> <laughs> no i well, think you I can't think of a better way to bring it to an end. I I, I really grateful for your time. I know you're super busy, so um, and it's been really nice to have a good old. And I, this is what I love about the podcasting. You end up in a really nice chat yeah. with someone and find out that bit more than you knew before. So yeah, yeah. you know, I, I'm grateful, and um, you know, keep up the good work. Oh, thank you. Good, good <laughs> luck with all of the the industry and everything you're going to be doing next year. Yes, thank you very much. No, I, I feel I do feel a lot more hopeful the last few weeks. So yeah. I think and thank you for your time, and it's been really I felt very flattered to be asked, and really enjoyed having a, a catch up with you. Really nice to see you again. Thanks very much. Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people 
some of the people that work in some of these places, many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.